How's everybody's week been? How many notice that when we come together on a Wednesday night, it feels very different than a Sunday morning? It just feels like it's, it's way less energetic. It's okay. Um, hey, we're going to start in the book of James. We, we finished up Colossians, and some of you might say, no, we didn't. We did. We just, the rest of it is Paul greeting people and saying goodbye to friends and stuff. And while I think that's incredibly vital for us to, to know and read, I think you can do that at home. And I wanted to dive into where the next place I felt like the Lord invited us to go, which is the book of James. How many have ever studied the book of James? One of my favorite books up until this point. Then I started studying it again and going, man, I kind of hate this book right now. There's a lot of really tough stuff in here. So James opens up in verse one. We're just gonna deal with verse one of chapter one this evening. And James talks about this idea where he says this letter's from James, so we know who wrote it. And if we ask the question, a lot of scholars will wanna debate this, but probably the, the easiest person to pin it on is James, the brother of Jesus. That's probably the most common belief. Now, I had a thought when we were looking at it and studying that. Can you imagine the vantage point that James had on Jesus? Whereas most of the disciples would have seen Jesus for three years, James had lived with him his entire life. So James isn't gonna teach anything about the kingdom or about Christianity or about following Jesus that he wouldn't have been willing to say, I saw Jesus live it. Does that make sense? So there's something about this book for me that creates such an understanding of who Jesus really was because it's a guy who had been around him his entire life writing it. He saw him up close. And this next phrase I think is one of the most important phrases for us to understand if we think about the fact that James saw Jesus at close proximity for multiple years. He will say this, this letter's from James a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. His first statement to the, the reader is, hey, I want you to know this. My name is James, and I'm a slave. I'm a slave of God. Can you imagine what it'd be like? How many have brothers and sisters? Can you imagine if your statement is, I'm a slave to my brother? And we're not talking about the flowery version of slavery. The word that James will use here is a word that we have to look at. It's the word doulos in the Greek. A lot of English translations of our Bibles will soften that word to servant or to bond servant or bond slave. But in the early church, in the first century, this word had a very specific meaning. The meaning was slave. It didn't mean a servant or someone indebted. It didn't mean someone we were in relationship with. It just meant slave. So James will come out and say, I'm a slave of Jesus. Now, I would originally, we were gonna dive into this, I was just gonna move past that as a greeting and jump into the next verse. And we sat in teaching team and talked through it and there was something in it that captured us, which is this idea that what James wants everybody to know is the first foundation of his life is, I'm a slave to Jesus. And so I would say it this way, everything we're gonna learn in James, everything we're gonna study that he talks about that comes beyond that, on the other side of that, needs to be, it needs to come through the grid of, 
James's first declaration about himself is the first thing you need to know about my relationship with the Lord is I'm a slave to him. Interesting, scholars would, would say this, at the time that James is written, which is around 62 to 69 AD, somewhere between one in three and one in five people in the Roman Empire were actual slaves. They were legitimately slaves, fully owned by someone else. Now the slave process was very simple. A person would end up in slavery. It could happen because they were in debt. It could happen because they were a prisoner of war. There was multiple ways they could end up in slavery. And so they would go to the slave auction. They would be led to the slave auction. And how many have ever seen the movie Gladiator? You're like, can I admit that in church? You can, it was a good movie. So you remember that, that the, the, the treatment of these slaves was not, it wasn't what we would call humane. They weren't treated like noble people. They weren't treated with respect. They were just treated like animals. And this is the, the slave trade of this time. And so they'd go to market and they would put them up on a block. They would stand them up in front, of, in front of all those at the market and someone would bid on them and say, I'll buy that one. They would buy them and from that point on, that person was a slave. In Roman culture, the slave was the full possession of the master. As you can imagine, some of those relationships were good. Good master, gentle master, would take good care of their slaves. And some of those relationships were incredibly abusive. They just depended on who the master was. The word appears about 150 times in the New Testament in various forms, and yet, most of our English versions will soften it and make it different. Because in the Greek, doulos really meant slave, it meant nothing else. So it caused me to ask a question, a couple questions. Why has the word been adjusted? Why are we so uncomfortable with this idea? And what are the ramifications of that lost understanding? Here's my, here's my premise that I'm jumping off on. I think understanding what it really means to be a slave to the Lord is important for our discipleship, for us to be followers of Christ that follow him the way he's desired. And I think if we soften it in our culture and we remove the teeth out of the language because it offends us, we lose meaning. If you want to go back and study the linguistic choices and why it was made, we have to go back to the 1600s, which is, the, which is Calvin and Knox and, and the, these interpreters of Scripture. And, and by this time, about the 14th century AD, slavery had been mostly abolished throughout the world, and, but they still felt like there was a stigma to this word that just made it visceral and difficult for people to stomach. So they changed it and they softened it. I wonder what kind of shock and awe factor this word had in the first century when somebody said, I'm a slave. I'm a slave to Jesus. Because I think in our culture now, the way I grew up, most of that, that was almost termed as this fun, like it was a really cool thing to say, yeah, I'm a slave of Christ, because none of us really understood what was connected to it. Jesus makes a statement to his disciples in John 15 that has been bothering me all day. Now, I want you to think about this as a friend. How many have at least one friend? How many don't have any friends and you don't know why? We can do different counseling later for that. So think about if you had a friend that comes to you and says this, 
We can be friends if you do everything I say. How many of us would jump into that friendship? Jesus says to his disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Most of us would instantly walk away from that and go, what? How does that work? It offends our sense of, of independence. It offends our sense of choice. I would love to submit to you that there's something that we miss when we soften this word. And I know this is a hard message. I know that none of us are going to, none of you are probably really happy about hearing a, a, a teaching about what it is to be a slave to Christ. But James will build an entire case through this book, and all of it is rooted off of this idea. The first and fundamental thing you need to know about me is I'm a slave to the one who saved me. So James will go on and say, this is written to the Jewish Christians scattered among the nations. Greetings, <laughs> I love that. I'm James, I'm a slave for Jesus. Greetings. I'm sure they're all interested, but it's important for us to know that he's writing to people who were probably mostly Jews at this time. It's what's known as the, how many have ever heard the term diaspora of Jews? Okay, let's go to Bible college for a second. You doing all right? Just look at your neighbor and say, I'm getting ready to learn something right now. The diaspora is the term we use for the scattered, that, that were, they scattered out of Israel, they scattered out of Jerusalem, it's the early church that they kind of dispersed. And this is the term we use to talk about them. So he's writing to these people. Why is that important? Because they would have been very, very familiar with an Old Testament idea around slaves, the same, the same word. If we go to Deuteronomy 15 and 21, there's rules given for slaves and how they were to be treated. And one of these rules was called a bond slave. This bond slave is an incredible picture and it's really what I want to focus on. Because I think that's what James is getting at. James is using terminology they all would have understood. There's a song we just sang. And, it, we're, and, and Matt led us into a moment where the lyric was, what can I say, what can I do? And I want you to picture this moment. It's for me, every time as a worship leader that I led that song, something in me would break at that moment because I recognized it's that moment where I'm standing looking at him and I'm like, there's nothing else I can do except respond to you. I'm just so overwhelmed by who you are. And see, this is that idea of bond slave. In, in the Hebrew culture, six years a slave would serve. Even if they were purchased into slavery, six years they would, they would serve, but the seventh year they were freed. And they were allowed to go free. And that was in the, in, the, in the Hebrew culture, this is the way Yahweh set it up. This is the way God set it up. And it's a much kinder system than the Roman culture, which is once you were owned, you were owned for life, unless for some reason your master decided to sell you to someone else or free you. But there was something that could happen in a situation where the, where the slave would say, I don't wanna leave. I've decided I'd rather exchange my independence and my freedom just to be near you. Because when I'm around you, I feel complete, and I feel different, I found my identity here. I built a life with you, I don't wanna leave. And that's, that slave would, I want you to catch the imagery here. There was a ceremony they would do. That slave would, would say to his master, remember the master has full control of, over him in this condition of slavery, so what he's saying is, I'm making a decision right now to give you full control over me. Everything about me, you're gonna control. 
You will tell me where to go, you'll tell me what to do, you'll tell me what to say, I will follow you, period. And the master would say, okay, and he would walk the slave over to the doorpost of the house, the doorframe made of wood, and the slave would stand up against the doorframe and the master would take his ear the master would take a, a, an awl, a metal object, something that would, would pierce, and he would lay the ear up against the door and he would hammer that awl through the ear, piercing the ear, and he would replace it with a gold hoop. And that gold hoop said, I belong to this one. I've willingly, freely given myself to this one. Now this is a Jewish idea that the Romans didn't understand. And this is James's statement here, is I'm making a choice. I want you to understand I've made a choice to become a slave for life to him. And see, Paul, James isn't the only one that talks about this. Paul will say this in Galatians. Paul says, I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. He uses a word in the Greek, the word is stigma. It literally means I, I bear the physical stigma that I gave my life to Jesus. When we read James and we dive into the book of James, everything we're gonna learn is built on this premise and it caused me to think about something. In Psalm 25, we studied a lot. Friendship with the Lord is reserved or set apart for those who fear him. That in the kingdom, there's this access point to becoming a friend of God. And the access point is the fear of the Lord. And all of a sudden, I, I saw something connected. Becoming a willing slave to the Lord and the fear of the Lord are the same thing. What it really means is that we've made a determination in our lives as disciples that we're gonna live precisely how he says. We've laid down our opinions, we've laid down our, our choice, we've laid down our trajectory, we've just said this, no longer do I live, but now it's Christ that's gonna live in me. I don't exist anymore, I now live only based on what the king says, the master says. What's been bothering me all day as I've studied it is I realize in our culture in the United States, this is a really hard idea to sell people on. Because we all wanna believe we have so many rights and so much freedom. I read through so much commentary on this do loss thing, trying to figure out a way to make it softer, but the truth is, and my question for us, it's very simple. Am I living in a way that I would say, I've laid down all my rights. I've laid down all my opinions. I've laid down all my choices. He just has total control over me. I wake up every day and my, I present myself to him. You're the boss, you're the master, what do you want me to do today? Because this statement Jesus says of, you're my friends if you do what I command, there's like this hidden thing in it. How many would say, I want to be a friend of Jesus? I want that intimate friendship conversation. How many right here go, I don't even know if that's possible? See, the scripture says it is. 
Because Psalm 25 says friendship with the Lord is set apart or reserved for those who would fear him. And here's what I'd love to say. You cannot fear the Lord unless you've surrendered your life and you do what James has said. I made a choice to nail my ear to the door. I gave him everything. What I love is that Jesus will say in this same passage in John to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, now I call you friends. What's the difference? He uses the words doulos, I no longer call you slaves, now I call you friends. The difference is he says a a slave doesn't know why the master's doing what he's doing, but a friend does. And if we go back to Psalm 25, it says the friendship of the Lord is reserved for those who fear him, and with them he will share the secrets of his covenant. And I'd love to submit this to us very simply. The doorway to that intimate friendship with the Lord begins to share with you why he does what he does, his heart for you, trajectory, long-range plans. The doorway to that is making the decision to say, I'm laying my will down. I'm laying my life down. He chose me. He gave him. Because there's a picture in this bond slave thing that I love. And I want you to think about this. I grew up Pentecostal. We had to repent every week. We had to get saved every Sunday. But if you really look at what Jesus says in all this and what comes to the scripture, he says, I bought your salvation, I emancipated you, you can go free. And what James says is, once he set me free and he redeemed me and he took all my sin, I was so in love with the one that would do this that I came back and said, I will willingly, gladly give you my life. I'm never gonna fight you. I want to be around you more than I want my own freedom. And my heart cry for us is that we would be a people that would want intimacy with him more than we want our own freedom. That we'd be a people that would say, being near you is worth more than getting what I want. Being near you carries so much more value for me than all the riches of the world and all the opportunity. I just want to pin my ear to the door and say, I don't care where we go as long as it's us. There's a word, if we look at slave, we gotta look at the opposite, which is master, because slaves and masters coexist, right? You can't, there's no such thing as a slave without a master. The word that is used for master throughout the scripture is kurios, and it means supreme leader, supreme ruler. How many have ever heard a teaching on stepping into the lordship of Jesus, letting Jesus be Lord? Can I just make that simple? Letting Jesus be Lord means this, I've surrendered my life, I've laid down my rights. I've given him full control of every decision, of every moment. I'm not gonna pick my next job, he is. I'm not gonna pick my spouse, he is. I'm not gonna determine my reaction towards someone else, he is. I've become such a slave and and such a He's so controlled by him that I've just decided I'm gonna act like him, I'm gonna put on his nature, I'm gonna be like him, no matter what, all the world's gonna see when they see me as him. That's what it means to live under the lordship of Jesus. Church, we live in a time and a season where the world is waiting to be revolutionized by a people who are fully governed by their king, by a people who will lay down all their rights and say, "I, I don't have any rights, I'm a slave that we could stand and say, I insert your name, I'm a slave to Jesus. 
He's not just my friend. He's not just a religious belief I have. I'm not just part of a church. No, no, this is so much deeper. I actually am a full-blown slave of Christ. He has full access and total control. I wanted to close this gathering with bread and cup. And I know that this version of bread and cup is not near as much fun as the old version. I understand that there's a high probability you will spill your cup on yourself trying to get these open. I've also been told they taste like styrofoam. But I hope in this moment with just the sweetness and the seriousness of what the Lord's dealing with, would all of us be willing to answer this question? If I look at my life right now, could I like James say, I'm a slave. He has full control. Because church, if there's aspects that come to mind instantly of he doesn't have control of this area, he doesn't have control of this area, he doesn't have control of this area, the, the answer for us is, is to repent. And I would love to say it this way, the lack of control is keeping us from what his real heart is, which is, I don't want to call you a servant, I don't want to call you a slave, I want to call you a friend.